Welcome to the fifth episode of Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Today, you'll hear from David Bradford about networking and innovation with an eternal perspective. David is an accomplished businessman and entrepreneur, a grandfather of 17, and a spiritual giant. We hope that as you listen, you will receive inspiration from the Spirit for your professional, personal, and spiritual life. In every episode, we interview prosperous members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The goal of the show is to encourage and inspire young adult members of the church. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks, Um, Austin. I wanted to to ask you first to just start with a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I've been in the business world for nearly 45 years, uh, mostly in the computer industry, and it's been a great blessing in my life. Uh, I got involved uh, in the late 70s in the computer industry, and uh, it's been a a wonderful uh, run since. But I started life as a lawyer, practicing lawyer. I worked uh, as the chief legal counsel for the world's second largest software company for 15 years. Uh, The name of that company was Novell. It was based right here in Provo, Utah. And it was a massive company. We had over 10,000 employees uh, at its height and, uh, you know, billions in revenue. And uh, it was just a a fantastic company. in 2000, I retired for the first time, but then <laughs> a number of retirements since then. Um, but I've run a series of technology companies in the state of Utah, Fusion IO, HireVue, and now I'm on to my third uh, called The View, Versal, Virtual Immersive Educational Worlds. Along the way, somehow I got inducted into the Utah Technology Hall of Fame and um, have gotten just way more awards than I would have ever thought. It's just kind of ridiculous. I, I guess when you get to my age, you know, they, okay, he's, he's still around. He's still alive. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so that's a little bit of my background. Okay. The thing that really sparked my interest, why did you not stay retired? How many times have you retired and what's brought you back? Well, I would say three times uh, fully. Uh, The first time I I just turned 50 and I was going, okay, what am I going to do the rest of my life? Because I had great success with Novell and uh, so forth. I love golf. I love fishing. I love family. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I want the flexibility. And I've learned over the last two decades that if you structure things appropriately, you can still have the ability to control your own schedule. At the end of the day, we work not to make a million dollars, but to eventually control our own schedule. And that brings anyone great joy in their life when they find that something they're passionate about and so forth, but they are not driven by, oh, you've got to be somewhere at this point in time, et cetera. And so over the last 22 years, I've been able to structure my life so that I could still accomplish a tremendous amount in the business world, but still retain the flexibility that I wanted to do family uh, and do other things. Okay, awesome. So how did you fall into that in the first place? Did you fall into that? I guess is maybe that's poor wording, but well, were you... you know, um, 
I, I just knew innately that I wanted uh, the ability to uh, do other things. Now, I, I also wanted to stay involved in tech because, mm-hmm. you know, the technology center, you know, sector is where it's at. Right. And so I'd encourage any listener that's listening in you college age students go out and get some form of technical training. You don't have to major in computer science or electrical engineering, but go out and take a couple of classes in programming, uh, whatever it might be be trained a little bit technically and whatever you do in terms of marketing or sales or finance or legal that technical background is going to be a real blessing in your life and so uh, i wanted to stay involved in the technology community came across a company in 2008 called fusion io made a solid state memory device i was fascinated by the way in which data communications could uh, occur in a corporate data center much more rapidly than with old disk drive technology, et cetera. So I got involved with that company and that took off. We took it public in 2011. I then retired, sat on the sidelines for six months, but then I found another company that you know caught my fancy called HireVue and they made a digital interviewing platform. And probably some of your listeners have taken a higher view and uh, so forth. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, But then retired again in 2015 and kind of went off. And now I'm doing things with my wife, Dr. Linda Bradford. Wow. So cool. (laughs) Isn't it? Take a breath. I know. Oh, my gosh. So I guess let's rewind way back in the past then when you were like my age, right? Yeah. What? What were you doing? You said you served a mission, right? Yeah, I served a mission in France. Uh, I was there uh, from 1970 to 1972. Um, One of the ways in which we got converts in France, and and you'll appreciate this as well, some of your missionary followers, um, is you uh, do English language training. Mm-hmm. And so we had English language training in the south of France. And when we would knock on doors and we present Jesus Christ and our message, uh, sometimes it would not be taken. Um, yeah. And that's OK. But you bear your testimony, you move on. But sometimes when you see some possibility in the people, you could say something like, hey, we also teach English lessons once a week. And by the way, it's at this chapel and it's located at the street and so forth. And uh, so, you know, we do language training now in our 3D virtual worlds. Here here I am 50 years later doing that, full 50 years later. Um, And so I've kind of come uh, full circle on that. But one quick story, I I knocked on a door in February this month of uh, uh, 1971. So that was uh, 51 years ago this month. Believe it or not, the young ladies that answered the door and we taught English lessons to, they converted at the time. But over time, one of them kind of, you know, left the church and whatnot. She finally remarried a member of my district in Nîmes, France, 48 years later in the Provo Town Center Temple. Whoa. (laughs) So... Brothers and sisters out there, missionaries, the seed you plant today 
might take 10 years, might take 30 years, might take 48 years to take root, but they'll take root. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. And so, so you served your mission in France that gave you this, um, what you're kind of using right now, right? A little bit yeah. of a foundation for that. And so after that, you did like law school, right? Well, I graduated in political science and that's not okay. going to be anywhere. <laughs> so uh, BYU was just starting its new law school. Uh, and so I got recruited to attend the BYU law school. It was unaccredited. It was a flyer. It was risky. You know, yeah. we go up to campus today and we see this big, beautiful white building on campus. Well, that didn't exist when I started in the law school. In fact, we attended an old Catholic elementary school in South Provo. No wow. one knew that existed, but I think it was St. Francis was the name of it. And we attended uh, law school in that elementary school for a couple of years. And then that big white building that's now on campus, that got built. And my last year or two, I spent uh, in the new big white building. And wow. graduated, uh, you know, did really well in law school, but uh, uh, then started practicing law in Southern California and got involved in the tech community. And eventually in 1985, an opening happened at a company called Novell up here in uh, Provo, Utah. And um, I found that opening, that opportunity, and I was prepared. I built the legal foundation and the uh, technology foundation. And I'd also gotten a master's in business administration. Mm -hmm. So I was prepared for that job. And that was then the next 15 years of my life and kind of laid the foundation of my uh, tech career. Okay. So for you, education was definitely like a really important thing. You know, it was, uh, people ask me all the time, well, would you do law school again? Would you get a business degree? What would you do again? And I kind of, for me, my personality is more on the business side of things. Mm -hmm. I'm a risk taker. I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You know, the day-to-day -day practice of the law uh, was uninteresting to me. So I left a private law firm to go into a corporation so that I could be doing more you know, with the company and involved in different ways in the law and so forth. And so I made it interesting for me. Uh, mm -hmm. But just the pure day to day legal practice, reading legal briefs, et cetera, that would have driven me crazy yeah. over time. And so I got my master's in business uh, administration, and then I started to do stuff more on the business side. And, and that's just me. And so it kind of depends on your personality, which way, which route you want to take in life. Uh, me, if I had to do it over again, I, I probably just would have gotten a master's in business administration and gone straight into business. Having said that, the law and analyzing things and getting to the nut of issues, uh, that legal training has served me well over the years as well. Okay. Wow. Really cool. So just because I'm so interested, like for me, I think language is so cool. Like I love learning languages and stuff. So tell me a little bit about, about what you're doing now and about like the metaverse and, and all of this, this stuff. Well, so it started uh, when I was CEO of Fusion IO going back 2008, 9, 10, et cetera. And my wife uh, wanted something else to do with her life. The kids were out of the house, et cetera. So she went back and at the age of 58, 
she got her PhD in instructional technology. Whoa. So think about that. And then think about this too. It's never too late to start a new chapter of your life. You know, sometimes people kind of reach the end of a rope. There's never an end of a rope if you're creative and it, it, you know, you're willing to take risks and so forth. And so uh, Dr. Linda went back, got the PhD. And while she was in her program, she learned about learning in 3D virtual environments. Uh, what's called the metaverse now. In fact, mm -hmm. she cited the word metaverse in her kind of uh, groundbreaking dissertation work uh, in 2010, 2011. Uh, the metaverse was a term first utilized in a book called Snow Crash, 1992 book written by Neil Stevenson. And it's all about 3D characters in a virtual world, et cetera. And on page 22, he mentions the metaverse for the first time. Well, Linda kind of learned about 3D characters and animations and all that while she was going through her PhD program. She did a study at the end of her PhD program comparing the efficacy of learning in a 3D virtual classroom versus the physical classroom. And believe it or not, the people who took the control group in the 3D virtual world had higher learning outcomes in a statistically significant way over those who took the same course in the physical classroom. Oh. And so it's pretty groundbreaking stuff. And then the church came to us a few years later and said, hey, we've heard about your work in 3D. Uh, can you create a virtual Mexico? And so we got some computer programmers. They built a chapel, a sacrament table, you know, baptismal font, a relief society room, et cetera, all in a walkable 3D world. And uh, there uh, we placed a series of avatars representing yourself as a new missionary. Uh -huh. uh, and then you'd have the bishop avatar and you'd have the investigator avatar and each one of them would ask you certain questions and you had to respond in Spanish. And so you could learn your Spanish in this 3D virtual world before ever entering the MTC. Whoa, that, that is so cool. That's what got us started in language learning in the metaverse. And uh, after that, we came out with our own uh, app that specifically taught English Mm -hmm. and uh, so forth. So you go to USA Central Park, virtual Las Vegas, an airport, a restaurant, a hotel, and you're navigating through these worlds. There's 57 of them and um, Whoa. learning the language. So is it only English that's being taught right now through that? It is as of today, but if you called me a month from now, we, we will have introduced our Spanish teaching oh, of this. So if you want to learn Spanish in a 3D world, just get an app, spend 10 bucks a month, and you'll find yourself, you know, saying, you know, hola, como esta, uh, et cetera, in the 3D yeah. world by going to Cabo San Lucas and the pyramids of Chichen Itza and all of these amazing 3D environments. Wow, man. So for me, that was like, when I heard about that the first time, when I was like researching about you, I heard that and I was like, this is the coolest idea I've ever heard. This <laughs> is literally the coolest thing ever because think of the, the little stuff that, that we have for, for language learning right now. Think of like Duolingo, right? 
Right. That's like nothing. Right. This is crazy. This is like right. the future that right. we're living in. It's so cool. <laughs> right. That's that's gratifying to hear you say that. Yeah, flashcard technology that's used by Duolingo and Babel and some of these others. Yeah. That's been around since the 1800s. Yeah. It's time to set up and do something in a virtual immersion way. And that's right. what we're all about. Because we all know, like, the only way to really learn a language is to be immersed in it. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, virtual, like, this is so cool. So it's just, it really excites me, makes me like, I don't know, just so happy I, to think about. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, it's our mission in life. I've, I've had uh, numerous employees that have worked for me over the years that served as mission presidents and whatnot. That was never my lot in life. And yeah. uh, our mission has been laser focused on creating a new educational platform that emphasizes immersion. Yeah. So incredible, man. Okay. Let's change direction a little bit, right? Because there's just so many facets to, to David that I have to, I have to cover in this short interview, but um, let's talk about your book. Would you mind talking about that for a minute? Oh, sure. Um, in between my work at uh, Fusion.io and HireVue, I started writing a book uh, called Up Your Game, Six Timeless Principles for Networking Your Way to the Top. And uh, the ability, and, and I think the word network gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Networking is nothing more nor less than being curious about someone. Everyone, you're a great networker just by the very questions that you're asking me. How do you, you become a great networker? You become a great networker by simply being curious, mm -hmm. asking questions, showing genuine interest in other people. As you show genuine interest in other people, the law of reciprocity will set in and they'll show interest in you. And that's how you get your jobs. That's how you get your, you know, your next, uh, I don't know, church calling, whatever it might be. Just be curious, ask lots of questions. And uh, people, when you show genuine interest in others, that is the first principle. I talked about six networking principles. The first one is to get involved and think about other people first. When you go to that next conference, look around. When you go to sacrament meeting, when you look around, look around and see the person that's struggling, maybe doesn't have a friend, etc. Reach out. And as you do that, you'll be amazed at the results. Wow. That's really good advice, man. So it's, it's essentially the book is focused on networking then? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And I go through six steps, right? So first you show interest in others. Second thing you do is you've got to follow up with them. Mm -hmm. uh, third, you've got to, you know, stand up for the right principles. So everything's related to up. So you start up, you follow up, you stand up, et cetera. And as you do each one of those principles, you become a great networker naturally, not in some weird right. uh, way. Not the like pushy car salesman kind of thing, but like just friendly, right? Right, right, right. And that's, hey, if someone said, what's been your key to success? It's that, simply that, being curious in other people. Wow, really interesting. That's cool. Um, okay, An interesting question. Not super like businessy or anything, but I'm curious, how did you meet your wife? 
1972, I got home from my mission, um, sitting in English class in September of 1972. She was sitting right in front of me. She had this gorgeous hair. And so I asked her on a date. I was a, a BYU yell leader at the time, believe it or not. And uh, so we went out on our first date. I took her to a basketball game um, and uh, we went uh, sledding that day. And uh, that was December 2nd, 1972. Uh, so we uh, will just be coming up on our 50th anniversary of our first date. Wow. And, uh, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And, okay. And, and how has she been? How has she played a, a vital role in your life, in your career and wow. everything? Well, I, yeah, you know, I don't want to get emotional, but I mean, she's been supportive a hundred percent along the way, um, you know, raising four great kids, uh, now 17 grandkids, uh, et cetera. And while doing all of that, she still wanted to live her dream. And I wanted to support her dream of mm -hmm. getting, you know, educated, et cetera. And so got the elementary ed degree, got a master's of art uh, degree. And then uh, with distinction, this is like the first time in 20 years they'd ever given anyone a master's degree with distinction in that program at BYU. Wow. And then uh, got her PhD, you know, when she was uh, later in life. Yeah. So, and, and people, you know, they look at me, oh, you're wealthy, whatever, whatever. But you know, I'm wealthy in the friendships, you know, that I've formed over the years and uh, been blessed so much by them. And if you're talking dollars, you know, I made most of my wealth after I was 50, after I retired for the first time. Yeah. As crazy as that seems. So that's cool. Cause I feel like right now there's this big, I don't know, like the 30 under 30 thing, right? Like people, everybody wants to be successful as a, as a college student, right? Right. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't have to be that way, but it does lay a foundation, right? The habits that you form in your 20s and 30s, you know, those habits of being disciplined and working out every day and creating my list of things to do every day, uh, et cetera, those habits that I formed when I was in my 20s and 30s, those I still utilize today and they're still big blessing in my life. Okay. So let's talk about those for a second then. So those habits you said were like to-do lists and exercise and discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a big believer in 20 minutes on whatever subject or whatever meeting it might be or whatever you do. So I will set aside 20 minutes every day to, you know, meditate or read the scriptures, et cetera. And then 20 minutes each morning to establish my day and create a list of things to do. I have a list of things to do today that includes you, uh, <laughs> but you know, 30 other things, right? Yeah. And uh, so I find as I go down and knock those off, you know, gives me a sense of accomplishment, but also, yeah, I'm getting things done and uh, so forth. Uh, discipline in sports, uh, you know, I, I was not a golfer growing up, uh, you know, I, first time I really played was uh, with Elder Smith in Marseille, France. And he, he played golf in high school and he was my second companion and he liked golf. And so he found a golf course in the south of France and took me out there. 
But I didn't grow up playing the game, and yet I later became the Utah State Senior Amateur Champion. Um, you know, number one golfer in the state over 50, uh, and I, I represented the state of Utah in a big uh, national tournament, et cetera. Whoa. But I attribute that to my 20-minute principle, which is you take 20 minutes every day without fail to practice your putting or practice your driving or whatever, you know. And I guess I probably have some adult ADD where if it's longer than 20 or 30 minutes, you know, I'm going <laughs> to wear out over time. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. You know, now I'm I'm past 20 minutes in this interview, so I'm wearing out. <laughs> But uh, you get my drift. I mean, set yeah. aside these specific blocks of time and don't make them, you know, oh, I've got to spend three hours on this project. Because if you look at it in that way, you may never get to it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I've seen for me that a big, a big thing is like, if I want to get something done, I just have to commit to do a small part of it like that, right? It's like, if I want to read a book, it's like, well, I, if I just read one page, Right. If I can get myself to read one page, then I'll read a few chapters. But right. if my goal is to read a few chapters, I never read the book. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I hear you. And then the same thing goes with scripture study, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're just going to take a, a bite of a couple of scriptures and you start reading three or four scriptures, it pretty soon turns into a chapter or two or three a day. And so, yeah. Okay. Another question that I, I like to ask here is what is something like a doctrine or a principle in the gospel that you feel like has been fundamental to your life, to your success, to your family, all of that? You know, I think innate in our religion as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is this concept that we can become as God, right? Mm. We have the ability to perfect ourselves. So there, there is innate built into the church, a success orientation. You can do it. You can achieve, etc. And I think that principle is one my mother taught me, but I also got reinforced in every aspect of, of our religion. Uh, you can be perfect too. You can you know, do this. And, you know, if you think it, you can do it. And so I, I think that principle of success. Now, I will say this, um, and I will caution listeners on this, is, you know, we read in Malachi that, you know, hey, bring in your tithes, your offerings, and uh, so forth. And, you know, then uh, as you do so, you'll, you'll have success in life. And people sometimes think about that success as a financial one. It's mm -hmm. not. What the Lord's promising us is happiness and joy. He's not, you know, and success in that way. He's not promising. He, when he says he'll open the windows of heaven, he's not talking about financial dollars. Yeah. He's talking about the blessings of love and happiness and joy that you can experience those are the windows of heaven that he's going to open to you i i'm fearful that at times members of the church associate that specifically with oh if i pay my tithing and i do this and i do that you know i'm going to have a financial reward the windows of heaven will be opened unto yeah. me well it doesn't work that way and so 
you know, it, that, that's not the contingency in that blessing and yeah. so forth. And so sometimes people get so disoriented in the church, if you will, they're so focused on being a financial success that they forget about the other stuff. Uh, that's more important. Wow. That is a really good point. I think so many times the stories that we hear about tithing and fast offerings and all of that is like, well, I paid my tithing and then I found a hundred dollars. Right. So yeah. like, it was great, but it's not, it's the windows of heaven, heaven. There's not a bunch of money in heaven. Right. Right. So it doesn't make sense that that would come out of that. Now, listen, there, there's been times in our lives where we got that $20. Or sure. That of course. Yeah. You know, that, that turned out to be a blessing, but not millions, right? It's, yeah. Lord doesn't care about that. Right. So then for you, what do you feel like has been the thing that's, that's made you successful? I guess you said networking, right? Being able to, to connect with people. And being curious, that, that's a, a big factor. But I would say just as important as that is the ability to do, to go out and execute. So I, I was mentioning earlier today that the world needs dreamers mm-hmm. and the world needs doers, but most of all, the world needs dreamers that do. Mm-hmm. And so go out and do, do, do. I, uh, on my advisory board is uh, for one of my companies is a guy named Nolan Bushnell, who grew up a member of the church, no longer active, but grew up in Clearfield, Utah. He invented the Atari computer for crying out loud, Whoa. the original Atari computer. Pong, all that jazz. That was Dang. Nolan Bushnell, a member cool. of the church. Anyway, Nolan uh, actually graduated from the University of Utah in computer science or electrical engineering, went off to find his fame and fortune in California. And he hired Steve Jobs. He was Steve Jobs, the inventor of the Apple computer. He was his first boss. And so Nolan wrote a book some years ago called Finding the Next Steve Jobs. And in that book, he says this, everybody who has ever taken a shower has had a great idea. It's (laughs) the person that towels off and goes out and does something about it that changes the world. Wow. So do something every day to, you know, fulfill your dream, be a doer not just a hearer of the words or a preacher of the words. Right. So take showers and, <laughs> and do, and, and do too. what you think. And I about. don't care if you towel off or you blow dry, whatever. <laughs> you but when you're done with that, go and do something. Go yeah. out and form a little limited liability corporation, go out and, you know, to GoDaddy and get a domain name that's representative of your business that you want to run, yeah. you know, Put in that 20 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Really cool. So I guess the the last few things I wanted to talk about are for you mentors. Okay. Who have been the people in your life that have made you who you are today? Well, I think first of Tom Bangart, uh, my branch president in my little town of Red Lodge, Montana. I think we mentioned before we went on the air, I grew up in a little town in Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we had to go, you know, it took us 30 minutes to get to church uh, in a little chapel in Belfry, Montana. Uh, Tom Bangart 
was our branch president, and he would drive up from Roberts, Montana to Red Lodge, Montana, pick me and my family up and take us over to Belfort, wow. Montana, and, uh, to church every Sunday and do it twice, right? Because you yeah. had morning and then you had the evening and uh, so forth. And so that man and his dedication to the church and the gospel and to me as a young man, that was a big difference maker, big wow. difference maker. I could have, I could have gone down a not so good path because I was, by the time I graduated from high school, I was really the only member of the church in my high school yeah. at one point. It was just my sister and I, but, um, and so Tom Bangart was a great influence, I guess, spiritual influence, Truman Madsen, amazing. Okay. Um, uh, F. Melvin Hammond of the first quorum of 70 uh, was a great influence in my life spiritually. Steve Young, uh, the NFL Hall of Famer, we're dear friends, and uh, he he is deeply spiritual. A lot of your listeners won't know that, but Steve is very, very deeply personal. And um, I'll tell you just a quick story on that, just to illustrate it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure Steve wouldn't mind my sharing this with you, but many, many years ago, uh, the San Francisco 49ers were going to play the Green Bay Packers uh, and for the NFL championship or the NFC championship. And Steve woke up that morning and it was just pouring rain and just windy and nasty and so forth. And, you know, uh, he, he couldn't, he, he knew he had trouble because he has smaller hands relative to some of the other big NFL quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. He knew he was going to have trouble gripping the ball and so forth. And he knelt in prayer that morning as he got ready to play that big game. And he said the answer, you know, he expresses concern about all the weather and all the nastiness. And that this was one of the biggest games of his career. And uh, what the Lord told him was, Steve, some things in life, you can't go around. You have to go straight through them. And by that, what he meant was, you're going to have to go out and play that game regardless. You're going to have to go straight through it. And, and somehow that emboldened him to have one of the greatest games of his NFL career. Uh, but just stories like that, knowing Steve and his deep spirituality and uh, so forth, that's been a big influence in my life. Wow. Man, that's cool. You don't think of, of that kind of thing all the time. So that's no. cool. No. Well, awesome. Well, we'll close up with, I always like to ask the question at the end of what advice would you give to a young adult in the church right now? Well, I mentioned a couple of things along the way. Tech, you know, it's it's the way of the world. It's the way of the 21st century. <clears throat> Stay involved in that. Um, and just be curious in your life, right? Show genuine interest to other people and try to help them out. Think first of other people. It's a principle that you learned in primary. But uh, I, I tell you, it is a truism. As you show interest in other people, they will show interest back of you, in uh, back to you. And as you do that, you'll form lasting and permanent and great relationships, um, and so forth. So, anyway, go out and change the world. But. Be a doer. Don't just dream about it. Just don't talk about it. Go out and actually do something about it. Thanks for listening to Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, 
hosted by Austin Green. Find and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.